Hi, I'm James. And I'm Cairo. And this is Who Cares Wins, the podcast sharing inspirational stories about people who are caring for someone they love. Each week we're joined by a new guest who shares their story, and we try to do it with a smile on our face, but we never shy away from some of the darker moments. And if you find these stories helpful, please do subscribe to them and rate the podcast on your podcast provider. It makes a huge difference in helping us share these stories with people who are often feeling alone. Right, James, let's get on with the show. Another week passes in mobilized towers. Yeah. And uh, we've got we've got some, you know, we're really starting to see some traction with the podcast, which is great. Yeah, thanks to everybody for listening and for subscribing and for sharing with your friends uh, and family. It, it's really helpful. Yeah. I thought since it's probably a lot of people might have joined and although we hope they listen to all of the episodes and go back to the originals, <laughs> it's probably worth um, us having a quick... Just check in about who we are um, so listeners kind of get a bit of an understanding of why we're doing this in the first place. That's, that's a good shout. So, um, so Mobilize is a company that we've started, uh, which is a social venture looking to use technology to help uh, informal carers and people who are looking after someone they love uh, around the UK. There's 8 million people who are doing that at the moment. Um, and you have a particular reason to be uh, interested in, do- in doing this? Yeah, for sure. My mum is, is not very well. She has both physical and, and mental um, difficulties. And I've been a carer for her since I was uh, probably about 13 is when I, I suppose I recognise really taken on more of the caring responsibilities. So for me, you know, I've been there and done that and, and realised how often I was unsupported and, and really just trying to make that not happen for other people. No, absolutely. And although I'm not necessarily a, a carer in a formal sense, my mum's got uh, MS, so I've, I've got a bit of an insight into uh, how that works. And the I think the real important thing for us in terms of this podcast is that we're able to uh, share um, the stories of people around the country, because there's a lot of evidence that says knowing that you're not alone when you're struggling in a caring role uh, is so important and makes a huge impact. Uh, so that's why we share these stories. Yeah, for sure. I think hearing people who are in similar situations can be so powerful. And actually, there are a lot of people who aren't, you know, the usual type of carer. You know, we've we've talked about whether you're a carer or not. And I suppose I'm more of a, a classic type of carer, but you probably are a slightly different one. Yeah, it's a difference between being a carer or having care responsibilities, right? Um, mm. And, and yeah, so, yeah, so sure. often it's it's not necessarily what is portrayed in the media. And I think there's a really good example of that um, in Laura, who I spoke to uh, the other week. Laura is the legend who uh, sets up the recording studio for when we do uh, these podcasts. And just the other week, um, she was asking what we're talking about. And, uh, and I explained the idea of the Who Cares Wins podcast. And she started reflecting on her own experiences. So we asked if she'd be willing to share them. Yeah, fantastic. Let's hear from her. Let's do it. (laughs) And you you very kindly look after um, the space that we're in and come in and unlock the podcasting studio for me every now and again. (laughs) Trying to. I'm learning the ropes. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think we're all sort of... I feel like the equipment that we're using is substantially more sophisticated than the uses that I'm putting it to. I feel like it could do a lot. There's lots of knobs and twiddly things. Yeah, this, I, I think I this use. is high-tech stuff that even just looking at it, I'm like, okay, what's it going to do? But, <laughs> I mean, by the time you've recorded a few more podcasts, 
you might be a pro. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I, 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 still, I still get kind of frightened when it beeps at me and flashes and things. But there we are. Um, okay. We're here to talk about your nan, Joyce. Yes. Um, what was up with Joyce and how did you start to care for her? Joyce just got a little bit old. Um, did you call her Joyce or did you call her my nan? Uh, my nan. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, so my nan, or, yeah, uh, I used to call her Petal as well. She used to call oh, me Flower. So um, yeah, that's really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, my nan, quite early on in her life, had she had to have a hip replacement. So hers was, like, pre-retirement um, age, and all was fine. And then something happened. She started getting a lot of pain, so it got infected. So she mm. had to have it redone again. All was fine. <laughs> and then she had to have it done again. Oh, my word. Um, so the third time she was in hospital, I don't know the ins and outs, but basically she had to have everything removed to like to get clean properly. So she was in, like, a traction oh, in, like, the sounds... old um, Middlesex hospital. I'm, I'm um, wincing here. This <laughs> sounds so painful. Yeah, she was, like, out of action. And she was really active and always out and about. So her being in hospital was just awful. Yeah. So she had this, the last hip replacement done but sadly left her with, like, one of her legs a little bit shorter mm-hmm. from where they had to take everything out, clean it, put in the new hip, but it left her slightly unbalanced. So from that, she kind of lost a lot of balance and lost a lot of confidence in going out. So started to come more housebound, not going out as much. It would take a lot of thing from us to, like, oh, come out, like, you know, and that's really unlike her. And then, you know, down the line, she had a couple of mini strokes which are called TIAs and then she had one they classed as an actual stroke but in terms severity um, hers was very mild Um, during the stroke was quite awful but after the effects weren't so bad but obviously had done stuff to her brain Mm -hmm. so by this point she never really left the house so she basically was housebound and sort of my nan's house was always the hub, so she never lost the community of, like, everyone. She knew, like, everyone would come to her, everyone would be calling her, so it's fine, but she never went out the house. So, basically, she was left with, like, reduced mobility because of her leg and sort of side effects from the stroke, but not didn't affect her ability to be herself. <laughs> she was still very much her and um, in her it, sharp ways. And it, it sounds like she might have been someone who had a lot of opinions. Yes, yeah, yeah very opinionated. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so she became housebound. So, um, you know, and she, she had quite a weak chest. She used to smoke. So then she developed COPD, which they call chronic lung disease. Okay in short basically it's got a fancy name like I don't remember anything apart from chronic um yeah so she had that as well so she found breathing was quite hard and she would pick up chest infections like no tomorrow and then towards the end of her life she got pneumonia quite a few times and then sadly that's that's what the that that was the illness that actually killed her was the pneumonia And, and so were you looking after her all of this time we've always been very close so my nan lives really local to here or she did live really local to here and we only lived five minutes down the road so we've always lived in Summerstown as a family like my nan in her house and then my mum me and my brother in our house but we would always be at my nan's house after school we could stay when we wanted her house was our house basically um 
we only ever really went home like if we wanted to play on like a, a computer game we only had them like in our rooms at home but um yeah we were always there <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you must have been really close then because it's a big sort of like a long time building that relationship uh, over your childhood as well. yeah yeah definitely she was there when we were born um my parents split up when we were young so she was the adult um so I've always been involved in her life and then obviously as I got older my mum sold our house and we moved back in with her and then it sort of just led on from there I live with her all the time so I took on the role without realizing really it was only maybe like a year in that I was like well actually I like I am her carer (laughs) when you're like the doctors are asking oh well who's at home all the time after she's been in hospital and stuff and it sounds like a really busy house with with people coming in and going out. And yeah, always. Like, yeah. It was never quiet, which was quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> just wanted like five minutes peace, or like when you got in from work, you just wanted to relax. But there was always someone there having a chinwag with her. So you've kind of grown up and then grown into this role, kind of as it went along. And and who who else are the people who are involved in uh, looking after you now in that way? There was my mum, obviously. They they were very close. So my mum has always looked after her as such. They looked after each other. She looked after my mum, my mum looked after her. Um, my uncle was around, um, but he doesn't live in Lon- London, so he'd only be here in the weekdays. Um, and my brother as well, when he lived in London, he was in and out of the house and getting her things if she needed them and stuff. So it feels like a real team effort then yeah. from, from everybody around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that really helps. When it's left to one person, I think you do you think oh it's it's just me like I'm the only person if I'm not around what's she gonna do or that kind of thing but I mean you just just get by and <laughs> you just do it because you wouldn't leave her not yeah. with any help so and uh, do you, uh, did it change your relationship at all I mean you were obviously already really close um but as as you started to take on if you like the, the, the primary care role because you were there most of the time did that change the relationship that you had with her? I think a little bit, yes. Only because of frustration, because she would sort of be like, oh, well, I don't want to make you go out and do this. You're already doing this for me. Um, but I, we still had fun and didn't really see it as... Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it massively did. But there were times when I was just like, my God, like, <laughs> you're testing me today. In my head thinking, you are testing me today. Like, And I'd be like, right, I'm going out. And I'd just pop out for a bit and then come back. Um, but I think because it was, in the end, it was just both of us in the house quite a lot of the time. It's just normal to sort of have little clashes and yeah. wind each other up. And I knew how to wind her up and she knew how to wind me up. Well, when, um, I, when I'm looking after my parents' dog, I, I also, we also have disagreements like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just sharing the it's, same space yeah, for a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, isn't definitely. It? Yeah. yeah. Uh, did, was part of your role to coordinate all of that, almost like an air traffic controller, making, <laughs> making sure that someone comes in at, at various times? Yeah, I think so. I think like that after the times that she spent in hospital, that was really stressful. Like, when you're older and you're not as mobile, they like have a six-week package. I can't remember the names of it, but because it was quite a few years ago, but um, organising that to come in and having to like fight your battle with, you know, the hospital saying no, like that's not what we want. Like this is what she needs. I'm around here, and trying to like communicate between different people was quite tricky. Everyone just did their bit. Like obviously, I was there all the time, and it always fell on me, but. 
there were people that I could call if I really needed to go out and wasn't going to be around. Like, could you go and have dinner with her tonight? Like, or I sought her dinner out and say, oh, could you pop in in like an hour? Or could you phone her in an hour just to make sure she's okay and whatnot? Yeah, you mentioned um, kind of being her champion uh, and going out on her behalf in hospitals and doctors and so on. Where did you learn all of the things that need, needed to be done? Because the, the health service and all of that stuff is quite complex, right? So complex. <laughs> and it's a, it's a case-by-case case, uh, situation. So basically, when she ended up in hospital after the strokes, like we knew that she's going to need a bit more help this time. And after the first time it happened, she had a carer for like an hour in the morning, like when everyone's gone to work just so that she had a bit of independence. So we really fought for that um, after the last time she came out after the stroke and then times after when she had the pneumonia. They were trying to say, no, we've changed companies that we employ carers from. Um, and we were like, well, it, you know, it's not our fault that she's ended up back in hospital and you're trying to put this six week, we want the carer she's used to. Like, it's not fair. Like, why should she then have to get to know somebody else? She's comfortable with this this lady who was amazing um and my mum, she, she you know she was very able to get her point across and she's like I, I have a relationship with her and you know you're gonna lose her a job <laughs> my nan cared more about this carer having a job <laughs> than actually her coming to like help her um and yeah. you know it was her right to have a carer and for one hour a day is really not a lot <laughs> some people need it a lot more and we wasn't asking for that we was just like no we, all the other times we don't need we will make it work if you just promise that we can have her and you know we did in the end thankfully so did you find that it had an impact on uh, the, your kind of wider life so your, your social life kind of college and, and various things yeah definitely because I would I wouldn't want Heli to leave her at, um, home like on her own for hours I'd always make sure she had food. You know, she was capable of doing stuff to herself for herself, like cooking, but maybe not transporting everything because mm. she was using like a frame and stuff. So I would always be at home to have dinner, or if I wasn't, then someone else would be there. So I do think definitely affected my life as as an early twenty year old. I didn't go out as much as maybe. I, I could have, but actually probably looking back, I was probably quite grateful for the less of the hangovers and all that stuff. But um, yeah, like... And I guess it, it brings up quite a few life lessons as well. So although you don't get so much of the hangovers and the, the parties and so on, you, you kind of get a different perspective on things at the same time, right? Definitely. And I think, you know, she did a lot for me as a child. So of course I'm going to repay, repay it back to her. Like, why why wouldn't I? I think you just you just do it like you don't think anything of it and now looking back I'm glad I did but you know we had help with a carer that came in to help her get washed and stuff because I think that's a bit you know on the days when maybe the carer wasn't there and it was me she'd be sitting there like oh sorry you're having to do this I didn't care about having to put socks on or you know like silly things like that or getting her the stuff for her to wash herself that didn't bother me but I think you do yeah you just get on with it and just just do it it's interesting from what you say that she was obviously just a little bit self-conscious of the impact that it had on your life. So you mentioned that you know she said sorry you, you didn't have to sorry that you have to to do this and um, I don't want you to go out and have to do the the shopping. Or yeah. Whatever. How do you think she approached it all and felt about 
what was going on. I think she hated it because she, before all of the the hip operations and all that, she was independent. She she did everything for everyone else. So I think at that point she she hated the fact that people were doing stuff for her and the fact that I was doing it, like the youngest. Um, but you know, it's just it's life. Like I think you you grow up knowing that you're gonna have to care for somebody, whether it be partner mum dad like any other relative friend even like that just needs a bit of support like I feel like you personally I think I have that expectation that you're gonna have to do it at some point and I I think it's a good thing because you get to as as much as you're caring for them you get to build up a really nice relationship where it's just you and them or yeah whoever it is you're you're really close in the end I can I can really tell from the way that you're talking <laughs> that, that, that you, you got really close. Yeah, um, really close. Um, yeah, I don't want to cry. <laughs> but well, don't worry, you can cry if you want to. We're, uh, it's no judgment here. So, so in terms of your favourite memory of, uh, th- th- if I ask you that now, that might push, push you over the oh, edge. I'll, no, I'll it's you, fine. Um, what, what's your favourite memory? Because is it from growing up when you were? Kind of little, or was it was it in more recent time when you when you got even closer? I think that there's loads of memories. As a family, we always took loads of photos, so it's not hard to trigger a memory. Like you, you look at a photo and you're like, oh, I remember that we went there. She always come on holiday with us. We always went on days out. You know, she took us every everywhere. In childhood, the the memory probably would be. So she didn't have a husband, well, she did have a husband originally, but divorced early on. I'd never met um, him. And she had a best friend that also had a similar path in life and they lived next door to each other. So instead of having a granddad, I had two nans. So they would always take us out together or if my nan was unwell, Kath next door would like, oh, do you want to come here? I'm going to visit my sister in the school holidays. Do you want to come with me today? So they would take us out together or separately. Um, we always used to go down to St. James's Park and feed the pigeons, which when I look back is horrific. Like <laughs> all these pigeons around us. Oh, it's disgusting. But um, yeah, so we used to just do nice things like that. And then like me and my brother always used to stay on the weekends without foul. We'd always choose to stay and we'd just have dinner in front of the TV, which in our house was never allowed we always sat at a table, even at my nan's house or at home. We always sat down. So, we, like, we used to have a treat on a Saturday night. Me and my brother with, like, the worst type of dinner. Sats. <laughs> All, like, the chips and the chicken gears and the baked beans. Um, sat in front of the TV watching, like, gladiators. And then, like, later on in life, it would be, like, if my brother come round, the memory would be that we could get her to laugh and dance and do stupid things, like, to music that she doesn't even like know what the music is um, <laughs> but we've got videos of her like laughing and like getting her to like dance like she's a teenager and stuff um, oh, wonderful. so yeah like loads of varied memories but all so important um yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really interesting when uh when we first met you uh you completely got the idea behind the podcast which is that you know, sometimes when you're caring for people there are some kind of silly, silly moments that that you can laugh about, as well as being, um, uh, you know, obviously being quite, quite serious and quite tough. And are, are there any kind of key moments that, that you remember uh, really giggling about with you and your nan and your brother? 
yeah, so like just putting on music and just getting her to laugh to like rhythm of the night with her hands like up in the air. <laughs> Bearing in mind she was quite unstable, so she's like right next to a worktop. I'll have to show you the video after, but she's like literally like with her hands up in the air. And then just silly things like, you know, old people, they have to wear them like st- stockings that are oh, tight yeah, yeah, when yeah. they don't move as much. Trying to get those stockings on is <laughs> the worst thing <laughs> and the funniest thing because she's sitting there with her legs still trying to help but she's like kicking her foot in your face <laughs> and you're like trying to um like maneuver it over a hill and yeah it was done you can't like, live it up with goose fat no no no, no. <laughs> it definitely what you needed like a shoehorn but then a shoehorn wouldn't work but anyway we got it down to a t in the end like we worked out little bit by little bit and then unravel but yeah things like that the funny side of caring, like with all the, the bits and bobs and all the equipment that goes with it, like the seating and the toilet cover, and oh, so yeah, she yeah. can like push herself up and stuff. <laughs> and you get used to that. It's quite nice actually, like having a toilet now with nothing around yeah. it, um, and not having like an extra chair for her to like sit down in the in the bathroom. But but yeah, lo- so like loads you- of memories. Laura, thank you so much uh, for you. sharing that story. Really good of you. And um, yeah, it's been fun as well. So thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else, Laura, that you would want to say? I think it's really important to say that when you care for someone, it, it's not a burden. Like it really, you do feel like it is sometimes when you miss out on doing things, but it's really not because you gain so much more from it. Um, but also, I just think like it would be really nice that people that do care for people are appreciated more and things are done for them to show that what they do is actually like having another job (laughs) the whole like logistics in your brain of making sure like when you're at work that they're okay and you know your phone's always on in case they've fallen or you know the company are going to call you and say oh you know Joyce is on the floor um, and she can't get up and you know you'd have to go home and sort her out so one of the things I've learned about all of this is that part of it is actually doing the caring, but the big deal is when you're not doing the caring, but you're still thinking about it. Yeah. And there's a little nagging thing in your mind thinking, oh, you know, actually, maybe I won't have that extra glass of wine because I need to be on it when I get yeah, home. Yeah, definitely. And... I, You know, I'd go on nights out and I probably wouldn't drink that much because I think... I'm going to have to get up at like seven in the morning and I don't want to be like staggering around. I do remember there was one time that I got absolutely, I don't even know what happened. And then my nan like knocked on the door in the morning was like, you okay? I was like, nan, I can't even get out of bed. And she actually brought me a bucket oh, <laughs> on that little like um, trolley thing, um, her Zimmer frame. And the carol was coming, so it was fine. And she, you know, she survived the day, but she's let me have like an extra couple of hours. <laughs> there was no way I was doing anything for her. So there we go, Cairo. Um, so it's interesting that Laura um, is like you, uh, a millennial, um, a young adult uh, who's got a caring role. Did did any of that chime with you? Uh, for sure. The, um, when she was talking about getting kicked in the face, I too have been kicked in the face putting on a pair of compression socks. <laughs> and they're not designed. I think they're designed for the person to put them on themselves. I've never, I mean, I haven't got kids. So putting on socks for someone else was a, a technique that I hadn't mastered. And yeah, definitely had a bit of a, a, a bruising afterwards. <laughs> and actually the toilet seat. 
I think only people who've had to use a adapted toilet seat will really appreciate the joys of sitting in a normal <laughs> toilet seat without handles and, and risen aspects uh, going forward. But no, really, I think there was, I think what was really interesting that she touched on was the impact on your social life, mm. particularly when you're a young adult and, you know, wanting to go out. And I thought it was really beautiful the way she saw the silver lining by a reduction in hangovers. Um, I, I for sure wish I had had less of them. But, you know, that, at that age, when you're kind of becoming the person you want to be, um, it's all about your identity and growing. To have those additional responsibilities really can take um, take its toll. It's interesting because I'm sure that that's the case uh, for Laura and that it's been challenges in, in, in various ways. But she's really keen to make sure that uh, she sees it in a positive way. Uh, and that she doesn't dwell on those challenges and looks at it as, you know, very similar to what David was saying mm. um, in the previous episode, that that this is a natural part of um, growing up and being a human, <laughs> and that actually, instead of seeing it as an extra burden that's put on her, more seeing it as, okay, th- this is when I do that. This is the moment, I- I'm going to mm. do it at some point in my life, and, and for me, that's going to happen now. I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I agree. But I suppose part of me wonders whether everyone does think it's part of the expectation. You know, speaking to carers, they speak very eloquently and saying, you know, that's just what you do. But, you know, I think there are some of my friends who maybe it's blissful ignorance. They don't, they don't necessarily think about caring happening and, and maybe they just choose not to. But I think it's really only those people who've had to go through a kind of caring experience who recognises it. Um, I don't know if it is a universally recognised, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Well, it's certainly not talked about, is it? And uh, in in the way that everybody talks about uh, having kids and mm. when you plan for that True. and so on, um, it's certainly not a thing that we, we kind of share around a pub table or whatever. Um, you know, wh- when are you thinking of starting to look after your parents or, or whatever it might be? <laughs> um, I think most of, the, most of the jokes are about how, how soon can we afford to send them into a caring home so we can get rid of them? Um, but that's, uh, it suddenly becomes a bit more real when you realise, well, it's actually not that. That's, that's quite a tragic thing to think about. Oh, indeed. Um, now, it's interesting. I think this is now the third episode that we've had in a row where we've referenced TIAs, the, the mild stroke. Mm. I, don't, I don't know what TIA stands for, but um, it seems to be a real theme of almost the, the first big moment when caring responsibilities are kind of cranked up uh, is, is a moment when there's a mild stroke. Um, and I wonder whether that is something that we ought to think about. So, yeah, so my, my mum's had uh, three major strokes and countless TIAs uh, over the years. And I think it's... Yeah, it's been really interesting how in so many of the stories it's, it's come up again. Um, definitely the TIAs were acted as a kind of early warning sign for, for us. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. So I actually, I went and did a bit of, of research and there are 1.2 million stroke survivors in the UK and someone has a stroke every five minutes. It just, that just felt Ooh. crazy. Five, every five minutes. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we should celebrate that the improvement in... Um, Kind of healthcare means a lot of there are a lot more survivors um, of strokes than they used to be, but it, it really does, and I think largely because it affects mobility. Mm. Um, often, um, stroke victims, particularly of those major strokes, um, suffer some type of um, impact on their mobility. And it, and I think Laura kind of mentioned uh, a bit how 
when her nan lost her mobility and her independence, that really started, a, you know, a slow decline. Yeah, and, and part of that, which I thought was really impressive, was how um, the family and friends and community were absolutely determined that her nan wasn't going to become isolated and, and that they were going to still make sure that, that the fun and the games and all of that uh, came to her, which uh, well, it's, it's such a powerful uh, thing, isn't it? And for sure, the image of her nan on her Zimmer frame with the bucket, I was, I was absolutely, <laughs> made me laugh so much. Because it was funny because it was her being a nan still. I'm sure she, you know, she probably struggled yeah. with the bucket, but it's exactly what she wanted to have done. She would have wanted to be there to give her uh, granddaughter a, a bucket so that she could very graciously... It made me wonder whether we were going to slip into a sitcom territory there, actually. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, 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 that, exactly. that kind of thing. Now, one other thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about is that we had a bit of a conversation about um, kind of fighting the battle with hospitals and GPs. Mm. And I know that that's something that you're really passionate about. Um, do, what, what do you think is actually a helpful way of approaching all of that? Yeah, I think uh, being interested in and just knowing the impact is different things. I mean, some of the the absolute dread you have in having to deal with some of these uh, organizations. And I won't mention any by name, but, you know, it, it's often the fact that you have to repeat the same things to about 30 different people. Every time you're put through to a, to a different telephone line, you have to start completely again from scratch. And it's, it's just so incredibly frustrating. There are definitely a few things that really work for me. Telling, informing my GP that I, I was a carer and there was a carer responsibility really helped. You get two GP appointments back to back, which just, you know, gives you an extra 15 minutes in the, in the, in there, which is, is, can be really, really beneficial. Mm. But it's so much of it is, is just not getting frustrated with the system. I don't think there's an easy way of navigating an incredibly complex system, but it's, it can be so infuriating and often um, just endless. So, I mean, I wish that I wish we had some, you know, perfect advice that 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 makes the whole thing easier. But I suppose one of the things that we are trying to mobilize is to to understand what lies ahead. And I think often we don't know what's coming next. So actually, you know, speaking to other carers who've who've gone through a similar situation was often one of the most useful things because they gave you those insights which you needed to really understand the system and, and know the best way to, to play it effectively. And, and with that in mind, that's a really elegant way to, uh, to come to an end because um, we can put a shout out to anybody who would like to speak to others. You can join the Who Cares Wins Facebook group um, and there's loads of great stories being shared and, and help and support happening in that group. And if you're also passionate about our mission and want to help uh, in a more proactive way, testing some of the things that we're developing there's another group called the Mobilize 1000, um, and we'll be tweeting some links to that. Exciting. Um, and we would love to have your input and uh, have your experience as part of learning how to fix things. Um, Cairo, thanks again. It's always fun. Um, we'll speak again soon. Yeah, indeed, James. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.